this is one thing. Oh, you, if you will. I will. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, you. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. Want to do a podcast? Yeah, but not in this voice. Let's go okay. back to the normal. All right, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to Hacking the Grepson, where two grown men speak in very high voices for about five seconds and realize it's a bad idea. So today, we are going to be talking about backlogs and code planning. Uh, We have kind of two uh, somewhat different sources that spurred on this conversation, but I believe that they're kind of interrelated. I'm going to talk about backlogs. Uh, first, because uh, I read this article that was interesting that was written by a Mr. Lucas Fernandes de, da Costa, who is, uh, appears to be a Brazilian chum, who wrote an article called Why Backlogs Are Harmful, Why They Never Shrink, and What to Do Instead. Now, what is a backlog? Uh, so in coding, at least, as far as I know, is usually I try to structure my daily job with tasks, and they have priorities. You know, usually the the higher priority things are at the top of my list, and they're the things that I should work on first and are most important to at least my boss, if not the overall health of the project. And then, you know, they lo- they, they go down lower and lower priority as, as either I see fit or as us as a team has decided that they are, um, you know, that, how important they are. Now, generally, the lowest priority stuff ends up in this thing called a backlog. And essentially what that is is like stuff that you know should get done at some point but is not important enough to really give any priority to but you don't want to forget that you need to do them so they go into your backlog. And what this article is saying is that they're actually harmful because what what he believes that we do with backlogs is we put unimportant tasks in the backlog. Things that we think we'll eventually get to but we actually never do. And what's important are the important tasks and important tasks never go into the backlog according to the article i'm not really sure if that's entirely true uh i think backlogs i have backlogs even for personal things i mean i mean i take notes on things that i need to do all the time and i may or may not get to them but i definitely find that there's value in writing things down whether you get to them or not because there is a there's a power and a value in writing down a task irrespective of whether you get it done or not. Yeah, I think backlogs are used for a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Most frequently, I think what ends up in backlogs, in my experience, is low-priority bugs. Mm. Bugs that need that we don't want to forget about. We know that they're there. We know maybe we're keeping an eye on them. Maybe we just don't have time right now to work on it because we're working on an important feature or a high priority bug, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to lose track of it. So it goes into our bug tracking system onto a backlog. Right. Features can also go onto the backlog. Tech debt can also go onto the backlog. Often does. And, And should. I think one of the biggest problems with tech debt is that people don't put it onto their backlog and they forget about it. They just put a to-do in the code, mm-hmm. and it disappears. Mm-hmm. If you put it on the backlog, at least there's a chance you might work on it. Well, now, Matt, if tech debt is so important, why would it be in the backlog and not in your front log, for yeah. lack of a better term? So, 
I think that gets to the core argument that I uh, uh, for what I disagree with about this article. Okay. Which I, I think this article is very much written with a product owner, product manager as the intended audience. Mm, okay. My product owner, my product manager is never going to put tech debt as high priority <laughs> right. because they don't know it exists and they don't care. Right. And that's good because they shouldn't. Right. What they care about is what the product does and what it's the job of the engineers and whoever's doing uh, planning and all that to make the case for why it's important to do that refactoring or that clean up that technical debt or whatever before implementing the next feature because it'll make it faster, more reliable, safer, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's a million reasons. I think from reading this article, what he's talking about is features shouldn't go on the backlog. Mm -hmm. I disagree with the assessment that we don't put important things on the backlog. I think that comes down to what does your planning look like? If you're doing sprint planning, where you're like, okay, for the next two weeks, we're going to work on these things, mm -hmm. and you plan them out. You pull that stuff off of the backlog, work on them, and then they're done. Right. And then you go back to the backlog, and you say, well, these are the highest priority things. You take them off, and you put them in your sprint. If you're not doing sprint planning, if you're on like a Kanban style, uh, then you just have a backlog, and hopefully someone's prioritizing it um, and you're pulling things off as it needs to get worked on. And maybe then you could argue that nothing goes into the backlog because it doesn't. Because it's just someone screamed about it. This is the fire you're putting out the fire. Uh, you know, he makes an interesting point later that I'm curious what you think about. He, he says something like bugs that stay in the backlog long enough become features. Which to me basically means that like if it's something sitting in the backlog for so long, it's apparently not important enough to fix. So you're actually now relab relabeling it with that old maxim of like, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Because if we're not going to fix it, I guess it's not a bug. I think that is a very interesting <laughs> argument, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. Mm -hmm. I would caveat it, though, okay. which is that it's a bug if it differs from what the documentation says. Mm. So... At a minimum, you still need to fix the documentation or else it's always a bug. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have no documentation, then it's a feature. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because, I mean, if you use the same piece of code every day and you know I need to double click this link for some reason. Right. And someone changes that, that will screw it up. And at that point, single clicking it acts like a bug. Mm -hmm. Right. But if the documentation says single click this and you need to double click it, then that's a different problem, right? Mm -hmm. So I I see the point he's making. Yeah. And with if you take documentation out of the equation, right. I agree. But with documentation, I don't. I mean, if you just change the documentation to describe the actual behavior rather than fixing the bug, isn't that a little Ministry of Truth-ish, you know? <laughs> it is, but also it's not invalid, right? If, if it's going to take a year of significant effort to fix a very minor just inconvenience bug mm -hmm. that text is blue green and it should be green blue mm -hmm. right most people don't care uh but that one but mike does uh yeah, it's gonna take a year to fix it it's really bad that mm. uh, you know whole code needs to be refactored just for that right. one thing it's probably easier just to 
document that and be like, this is the way it works. And there's something to be said for documenting the way that your code functions, the way it actually behaves. You should also make it work better. But documenting the way it actually behaves, if you know it behaves that way, is better than having your documentation be wrong, in my opinion. I mean, I feel like this is a different topic, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with the way that this went. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, now, what I wanted to move this conversation into uh, next was we also, the, uh, you linked a very interesting uh, talk that somebody gave during a 2020 version of uh, RailsConf, which is a, a annual conference for the Rails, Ruby on Rails co- uh, community. And there's this guy who, who came up with a really interesting way of looking at software development. He, he says something like, software development is an exercise in human relationships. And what he does is he sets up two different relationships, um, two different kinds of people in code, and two different relationships between those people. And I really feel that like backlogs and planning and features versus bugs leads right into this relationship model. Yeah, and I would agree. Um, so before we completely close out on the backlog thing, yes. kind of the conclusion that they end up with is you shouldn't put stuff on the backlog. You should do it at a higher level of abstraction and put it on the roadmap instead. Mm-hmm. And for features, I agree with that. Yeah, And that, like you said, brings us over to this, this article from RailsConf 2020. It's called Tidy First, and it's by Kent Beck. It's not an article. It's a video. video. So, yeah. So the the two types of folks that they mention are waiters and changers. Like you said, the waiters, I would view as the customers mm-hmm. in Clients, most cases. Yeah. It's, they want change but can't make that change on their own. So, so they're maybe, waiting for the change. Right. Exactly. So maybe they're the actual customer who doesn't have access to the code base. Maybe it's two different teams at the same company. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's I don't have time to work on this, so I need my... I, you know, I need my, my boost team to go fix that, uh, or my dev my developer productivity team, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Uh, I need some internal tool. I'm waiting on something, you know, th- the developers could absolutely be waiters, um, in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then there's changers, uh, which is folks who can make the changes that the waiters need. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of two types of relationships that he talks about, which is changer waiter, uh, which is the sort of typical software development that we're used to is I've got a customer. Mm-hmm. They want an app that does this. I am a developer. I write an app that does that. Right. Easy peasy. Right. And then there's changer changer. And that probably follows more under the, the like software to software communication. Like maybe there's an API and, uh, but I don't, I don't work on the UI side. I work on the back end, mm-hmm. but if I change the back end, the UI is going to break, but I don't know how to write the UI. Right. Right. Yeah. Very that common. Thing. Yeah. Um, so he, he calls out that, um, you run into some problems with software design, uh, with these, with these two folks interacting and it's, you got waiters not understanding why what they think is a very simple change is going to take forever. Right. Oh, why they have the to time. wait longer. Yeah. And that. We'll go into, uh, you know, maybe it's a super complicated problem. It's it's NP complete and, you know, <laughs> you can't really do it in right. a reasonable amount of time. It's Or it requires uh, just a massive amount of processing that we don't have or whatever. Or major refactoring is needed because the software that we have is written with a certain architectural framework. And trying to add, trying to change the color of that one link. Right. 
turns out to be very, very complicated. Should we link, just as a somewhat related aside, that great comedy video about the engineer that gets brought into uh, the room with all the people and they're basically asking him to write, like, two lines that are both, like, parallel and perpendicular yeah. and he's, like, trying to explain how that's impossible. Yeah, can you write... Can you write that with red text? But I want it to be green. Right. I think like I remember. I, yeah. yeah, it was it was brilliant. And it's it's the waiter changer relationship. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And then the other aspect that they brought up that's that complicates things is as a changer, if I change something that breaks, uh, I make breaking changes that impact other changers. So that's right. I modify this API. I change the functionality of my library. I right. whatever. And there's no, maybe there's no warning, you know, versioning is the right solution to that. Right. Typically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah ha- having your code in yeah. a, in a repository that you can step back and. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, changer to changer, I think you could even get more nuanced. You have changers, changer to changer within the same code base. Like mm-hmm. if everyone's on the UI team and I've got, you know, we're working on two different parts of it, that is going to have a different dynamic because you might not have a a specific API line of demarcation there of like, this is going to change. They, they're very coupled together. Mm-hmm. That's going to have a different type of planning that you have to do. than if I have like, okay, I'm working on the back end, you're working on the front end. You need the access to this database item that I mm-hmm. do not currently give you. I need to get that information, have an API for it, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can call it. Versioning is the clear answer for that last thing. For the first thing, it's a little bit more complicated. And I think that's what ties us back into the backlog stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, the waiter changer, the waiter changer yeah. and, and changers across like when there is a clear boundary, when mm-hmm. there's an API or whatever, where like, okay, I could, I could say that this is an organic unit, mm-hmm. right? This is one thing. Oh, you, if you will, I will. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> you. So I think focusing on the waiter changer relationship, probably, makes the most sense when talking about that backlog article because in the waiter changer model, the waiters do not, like we said, they don't care about tech debt. Right. They probably care about bugs, but what they really care about is whatever they care about. <laughs> I know that's a tautology, but they don't, they don't care how it gets done. Right. They care what it is and when. Yeah. And so at that point, then yes, a roadmap makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, you're going to get that, feature by the end of this year right like it's going that's that's not in release one it's going to be in release two or whatever right and, and they're not going to care about your backlog right yeah and and the fact that it's on the backlog means nothing to them right if you say it will be you know we have that planned for eventually right that means nothing to them either mm-hmm. um but if you say okay the way you know we've structured the roadmap at a very high level to say yeah we're going to add the self-driving laptop the you know, Apple's putting that out Whoa. in 2025. <laughs> it's not coming out. I picked a, I intentionally picked a widget that will not exist. I hope. Oh uh, man. <laughs> well, when it's spinning, when they're drones, then you have self-flying. Yes. Uh, code this for me. Oh. Yeah, uh, it's very Knight Rider laptop. Yeah. You know, come to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know where I was going with any of that. I lost. I can think of his kit now. I lost myself. And and Mr. Feeny from Boy Meets World. That's it. It's just right there. Um, (laughs) Like you could say, okay, our plan is to roll out this high level feature in about a year. Mm -hmm. You see this all the time with video games. Okay. The next Legend of Zelda is going to come out 
2023, which yes. is this year. You know, yes. they told us that a couple of years ago. I don't need the backlog of okay, we need to implement the breaking my weapon too often functionality. Right. Uh, no one, no one needs to know all that stuff right. outside of the development team. But inside the development team, they do need to know all that. Right. Because you're not because they're releasing this one monolithic organic. I keep saying organic, but I don't mean that. Uh, this one monolithic code at once. Here is the game. Right. But if you're doing incremental software releases, that changes a little bit. If you're making a website, if you are writing Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, Netflix, one basically of the, any web app that yeah. is public like that, yeah. And you're rolling out changes, then then the dyna- then the backlog conversation starts to make a little bit more sense. Yeah. I think we've successfully tied these two articles together by really like digging into more of the nuance of like why backlogs are harmful is not a very useful statement in and of itself but if you talk about like where in the overall development of a software application you're talking about that's where backlogs can be harmful or not harmful i mean it's it, it seems like you know he, he's uh the 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 author is maybe conflating, you know, this this waiter changer and changer changer relationship into one kind of relationship where he's basically like saying, you know, don't use wishful thinking and just say like I interpreted him talking about the backlog as sort of like like a, kind of a, a lip service where you're like, oh, yeah, no, it's on the backlog. We've noted your concern. We've noted the bug. We're going to get to it. It's on my list over here. You know, you can see. Now, obviously, this list is over here, and my real concerns are up here. Those are the high-priority ones. And so there's this fear that you're making this infinite list of, like, nice-to-haves that you're never going to get to. And like you said, the the waiters, the clients, they, they just don't care about that. That is not what they're in this relationship for they're in for when will the product be served in totality right. whereas your fellow developers and the subunits and the sub subunits you know they do care where your priorities lie and they do want to know are you keeping a backlog and what's there and you know yeah. in general i would say for internal communication amongst a team a backlog is perfectly fine yeah it is your collective list of tasks be that features bugs refactoring whatever yeah that you know needs to be worked on and that you intend to work on at some point which i think is if i had one takeaway from his from that backlog article it's really don't put something on there that you never intend to work on right like or if you at some point when you do backlog grooming you're like you know we're never going to do that Remove it from the backlog so it's not there. Right. Well, and he and he mentions in the article that like the you know what should I do about this problem? And he and and he says like keep your backlog to a maximum of like a few weeks. Because yeah. to go along with that thing before, any bug that stays in the backlog long enough becomes a feature, which right. is basically you're never actually going to get to it. So keep a backlog, but keep it reasonable. Yeah. And you know. and that that's actually the fundamental piece I disagree with him on in that article. Okay. Is, when you talk about a backlog for a few weeks, you're just talking about a sprint. Yeah. At that point. 
So that is talking about planning incorrectly in my mind, because I I think if if you're strictly like a an ad hoc Kanban style team where you're just pulling the next thing off your list, whatever the highest priority is, sure, don't don't bother having it more than a couple weeks. That's that's reasonable. If you're doing like an actual process with sprints, you know, and you're planning things out, you need a high level roadmap, which is again what he's pointing at, and you need a backlog that captures that. If I know that by the end of the year I need to have features A, B, and C out, and that's going to require me sometime before then to make some fundamental architectural change to be able to implement that, where does that go? That's got to go on my backlog, or it's got to go on an internal roadmap. Okay, now it sounds like you're agreeing more and more with him. You just said even an internal backlog should really just be a roadmap. and So maybe it's just nomenclature. Maybe it's just calling it a backlog is potentially psychologically a bad idea because it makes you think about the tasks differently than a roadmap does. And so put by putting something on the backlog, you're, like I said, it's kind of like lip service. You're like, oh yeah, no, I, I wrote it down. I'm going to yeah. get to it. But really, are you? And so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of wavering on what I, I think. I, I think it really depends on what your intended use is. I do not view a backlog as being something that you communicate outside of your team. Hmm. Okay. What I communicate outside of my team is much higher level than that. Right. It is that that's that's your roadmap. That's saying, here's what we're planning. Internally, though, my list of tasks that is a backlog, and that can be as long as I want it to be. <laughs> I mean, is it is it basically these are the things I will get done before I quit or am fired or before <laughs> the sun explodes? I mean, I think that's kind of what he's getting at. Is yeah. like, what is the time frame of a backlog? And if you don't have one, is that a bad thing? I think that just comes down to how you do your planning. If yeah. if you are doing the platonic ideal of agile <laughs> development and you are, you know, every two weeks, you're going to your backlog, you're grooming it, mm-hmm. you're reprioritizing, you're doing like a whiz gif, weighted shortest job first thing. Mm, I haven't heard that before. Huh. Uh, big fan of it myself. Okay. Um, no one else is. Uh, <laughs> it seems very niche. Um, if you're If you're doing all of that, Having a backlog is useful. Mm-hmm. If you're communicating with your customers and you say, yeah, we have that feature on the backlog, <laughs> that is useless information for them. Right, right. What they want to know is that will be here by December of 2025. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Are they happy with that? No. But then they scream about that date and they yell at the product owner or the product manager and that eventually comes down to you as the engineer and they're like, hey, we need this sooner. Right. And then you say, ah, but according to my backlog, I... <laughs> well, and really, if you're putting a date on it, it's on the roadmap now, isn't yes. it? I mean, usually when I think of backlog, I think of with no goal of when it's going to get done. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And, and and that's potentially the harmful thing is that because you're not giving it a date, yeah. it's on no roadmap. Yeah. I know? would not put features on a road uh, on, a, on backlog. a backlog. I would yeah. put them on a roadmap. Bugs, I would put in the backlog. Right. And the argument about bugs versus features and documentation that we had earlier, really that could go anyway. As long as you're consistent and clear with your communication, I don't think it's a problem. It's tech debt that I think and 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 like uh, architectural runway type things that that is muddier. Mm-hmm. And I think 
if it, maybe you just need an internal roadmap for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because I, I feel like as soon as you put that kind of stuff on the backlog, you're immediately saying this is not important or not that important. And you're always going to do the important stuff before. And then, well, once again, like it comes out like, are you building a software application? Like, are you building Breath of the Wild 2 that at one point on a day, it must be done and put on a gold master? Or are you working on a web app that's constantly changing until right. the server blows up, you know? It, 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 there's more nuance to it than that, yeah. and I think you know he had to write a you know a, a clickbaity kind of uh, yeah headline to get us to read it, but really there's more nuance. Are to backlogs it. harmful? No. Is the way we use backlogs harmful? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Could we do a better job? Yes. But let me ask you this, Mike. Oh, do you have a product owner or product manager at your job for I'm, what you work on? I mean, I would say that's probably my boss. Okay. In Did a way. your boss also code? Um, not really. Okay, then maybe. Yeah. Okay. I have had jobs where I had product owners and product managers, and I've had jobs where I did not. And I think that's the other piece of this that, mm. like, if if you don't have one of those, someone needs to keep track of all these things. Mm-hmm. And as an engineer, I'm not good at putting together gantt charts and whatnot (laughs) yeah i have never done that before and roadmaps i'm I'm not good at that yeah but i am good at saying hey that feature that you want can you add that to the backlog and then i can say this is important and bring it to the top Mm, that's good i like that so some things that we think are good are might actually be bad some things that we say are bad might actually be good and that basically covers everything. So yeah. I think the podcast is done. I think I think it boils down to nuance. Nuance. Not old aunts. New aunts. New aunts. And not new uncles. Right. Only new aunts. New aunts. Right. I hope you enjoyed this uh, wonderful episode of Hacking the Grepson where we come up with uh, neologisms off the top of our, our head. Thanks to both of the article writers for giving us something to uh, jaw on for 20 minutes. If you would like more episodes like this, uh, you can reach us at hackingthegrepson.com, where we, this is episode 36, we have 35 other wonderful scenery-chewing conversations like you just heard. We now return you to your regularly scheduled lives, already in progress. 